shouldn't be some big drastic change and alteration the way that we do things, the way we practice, the way we prepare. If it's good enough to get you to this point, uh, I haven't changed any of the stuff that I've been doing. Um, obviously, you know, we got to play better. But if we're starting to freak out after one week, we're in big trouble. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Cofield and Company on a Friday, uh, one of our favorite spots of the week, Stanford Rapp, the former Raider, is in with us. I want to get to the Raiders' situation in a couple of minutes. We've got to talk about Thursday Night Football. On the way in, we just played a bite from Aaron Rodgers, who's always in that kind of relaxed mode. He said, you know, if we start freaking out now, we're in big trouble. I get what he's saying, but did we see some signs in week one where there is something to worry about with the Packers? I think it's a little bit too early to go ahead and cast those types of aspersions just because this is a team that the last two football seasons, they were in the NFC title game. Now, they did not play well in those NFC title games, and no, nor did Aaron Rodgers play well in those games. But nonetheless, they were able to make it that far going 13-3. and three. Green Bay did not lose an immense amount of uh, players or should I say weapons in the offseason. They lost one of their offensive linemen to the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, but Devontae Adams still back. Aaron Jones is still back. You got the bevy of receivers. Jair Alexander, the corner, the Pro Bowl corner, he's back. So, and then you got those uh, those bookend outside rushers that they're back. The so, I don't think that it's really time to go ahead and panic all the way. It was an ugly game them playing the Saint, uh, New Orleans Saints in Jacksonville, losing what was it, thirty eight to three or thirty six to three or something like that. And I mean, come on. The New Orleans Saints without Drew Brees, having Jameis Winston, like that alone right there. I mean, come on. The Saints <laughs> couldn't beat the Packers like that with Drew Brees. You think they can you think they're that much better without Drew Brees? So I just look at that's just an anomaly. You have certain games that are the stinkers early on, and you just put that one to bed, you forget about it. And I like where Aaron Rodgers is going with it now, where Aaron Rodgers also has to understand. Everything that he has done this past offseason with wanting to be traded, not showing up and not going to minicamp and things like that and demanding that Gutekus is fired and nobody really actually knows what his actual problem is. Everybody's speculating. And then when he gives his press conferences, he talks about uh, it's about the people and respect and the (laughs) philosophy and giving so much of that ambiguous type of talk, not actually saying this is what I had a problem with. They need to fix this. So I think that within all of that, Aaron Rodgers needs to understand that the same benefit of the doubt that you were granted in so many of your prior years in Green Bay because of what's transpired this offseason, you're not going to be granted that benefit of the doubt that, hey, everybody has a stinker of a game. Everybody has a bad game sooner or later. He's not going to get that quick reprieve that he has in years past. So I agree with you. I think the Packers will keep it together. I don't think they're going to have chemistry issues. Giants, they're 0-2. Last night was kind of a disaster down the stretch. What's it like on the – that was a quick plane ride home, but what's it like on the ride home and, you know, around the players when a guy like Dexter Lawrence jumps off on a field goal, they missed a freaking field goal, that's a win. Uh, What's a team environment like when clearly one – I mean, a lot of people blew the game, but one guy you can point to and go, dude, you blew it. (laughs) You know? Uh, One game comes to mind 
when they talk when you're talking about losing at the last second like that. One game comes to mind, 2010, week three. We're playing the Arizona Cardinals down there in Glendale. And uh at the last second, we we, we should have won that game. We wound up missing a field goal. Not to put it on sea bass or anything like that, but we missed a field goal. And so, yeah, whenever you have a game like that and you lose, obviously you can go ahead and try to point the finger at one person, but you win as a team, you lose the team. Cause I can I can think of several plays within that game where the Giants blew it on their own. Like, Adore Jackson shouldn't be getting beat on that touchdown in the fourth quarter if he simply plays with the proper technique and the proper leverage. Uh, you can sit up there and see the blown uh, touchdown pass that should have been to Slayton where it was wide open. You could tell it was a miscommunication in the Washington secondary. You got to connect on that if you're, Dan- if you're Daniel Jones. If you, I mean, you're the number six overall pick a couple years ago. You got to connect on that. So, you can go all the way down the list if you really want to see. You win as a team, you lose the team. And I don't believe that you can lose the game on one play. I don't believe you can win it on one play. Now, yeah, the last play is the one that the novices, the fans, people in the media want to point to is this won the game, this lost the game. But you could also say, well, what about the offensive plays that got them down to that area where they were able to win the game? Or what about the plays that the defense was doing badly on that led up to this one final culmination or should I say the climatic type of play that leads to a loss something like that because if New York doesn't simply if they don't let Washington Taylor Heineke get in the field goal range then the jumping off sides on the field goal block doesn't even freaking matter if New York gets off the field but once again we can go all the way down, uh, down the deep end on the what if. So I think that, uh, it, it, trust me, it's definitely not a pleasant plane ride back, Steve. I will definitely tell you that much. And it's games like that. You just cannot wait for your next game to come around. That way you can get that bad taste out of your mouth. And what that happened on Thursday night, you got to sit with it on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, Tuesday. So you just cannot wait to get back on the field so you can go ahead and erase uh, that bad taste, that bad feeling that you have in your mouth. Stanford route is where this played for the Oakland Raiders. All right, one more thing on the Giants. This was interesting. I, I don't know which way a coach goes on this one. One, we saw Kenny Galladay yelling at Daniel Jones on the sidelines. So in New York, they're oh, going to yeah. blow that up. The other one is Kadarius Tony, the rookie, goes on to social media and starts whining a little bit about his role. I, I wonder how the coach feels about this. Like if Joe Judge is like, dude, guys, stop doing stuff like this, or – if he looks at it like, hey, well, with Kadarius Tony, I think it's different. I think running to social media in your second freaking game is stupid. But I do wonder, Gall- uh, Galladay yelling at Jones, if that's actually a means to an end to kind of get Daniel Jones a little more intense. Like, there's a lot at stake here, kiddo. Absolutely. I think for uh, for Kenny Galladay, obviously him coming over from Detroit, putting up Pro Bowl-like numbers, that's why he earned that big-time contract that he got this past offseason. He's over there like, hey, like – like DJ, like get me the ball, like throw me the ball, put it where I need it. Go ahead, let's go ahead and call this play. Give me this type of pass rush. I think I can beat my corner that I'm lined up against. We need to start go ahead and improving on things like that. And it's all within the confines, or should I say, all within the urgency within the game. It's we're 0-1 right now. He's yelling at Daniel Jones in the middle of the game like, hey, I don't want to go down 0-2. I've been in Detroit. So I've been in situations where we're losing, and it seems like there's no there's no light at the end of the tunnel, something like that. So I think that that's where his frustration is coming from. 
They pay me a big. They pay, paid me a big contract. I got to produce. I got to go ahead and show that I'm worth that big contract that they gave me. That Detroit wasn't willing to give me. So he's probably got his own personal issues that he's going through as well. Now, as far as uh, Tony, the young man, like, come on, you are in your second game. You, like you've had, like you just, you just started your NFL career five days ago. Five days ago, you just started your NFL career. And I get it. You want to be more involved in the game. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you got uh, you got Sterling Shepard and you got Ingram and you got Galladay. So you're probably the third at best, fourth, most likely fourth option on the team. If you don't get no targets, you don't get you don't get no yards. Uh, bruh, you need to go ahead and accept your role and just <laughs> understand the pecking order and wait your turn. Now. Him being upset, him wanting to make plays, I understand that. And you love that fire. You love that dog in him and as a competitor, as a teammate, because I want my teammates to want to do more and to want the coach to allow them to do more. Now, as far as him going to social media, that's just the generation that we now live in, Steve. That's what all these kids know. Man. These kids don't know MySpace. They barely know and Facebook. MySpace. But they, they don't know how – in the older generations, you simply just go, you talk to the coach, you talk to the GM, owner, quarterback, whoever, offense coordinator, whatever you want to call it. You go and you do that. You don't go to social media. And then especially Joe Judge coming from that New England coaching tree, you know how Bill Belichick feels about somebody going outside of the organization to go ahead and air out the dirty laundry or voice uh, some of their displeasures within the team. So I'm pretty sure. Joe Judge is not going to like that, not one bit, just because, A, you sound like you're whining. B, you're completely short-sighted, and you're completely just out of touch because uh, you're going to come behind Sterling Shepard. You're going to come behind Galladay. You're going to come behind Ingram, most likely. So, And then we got this stud. He's obviously banged up. He's working his way back into football shape so he can go ahead and uh, have full confidence in that knee in Saquon Barkley. So I think that uh, he's got to go ahead and he's got to understand. And then also, hey, listen, even if you have a even if you have a viable, actual legal gripe to be upset that you're not getting the ball, you're not getting your touches, even if that's the case, dude, no coach is going to be okay with you doing that on social media they're not gonna be okay with it now with him being a first round pick if i'm joe judge i'm gonna be a little bit more lenient a little bit more accepting of that than if he was a seventh round pick an undrafted guy something like that so he's got to go ahead and he's got to watch himself because you can quickly go ahead and put a target on your back you can quickly go ahead and your boss the same guy that drafted you dave gettleman you can quickly Turn the same people who are your advocates, you can now turn them into your enemy or you can turn them into somebody who simply is not going to bat for you in those rooms, in those offices where ultimately your job security, your future within the organization or the company. Oftentimes, those conversations are going to be had when you're not in the room. So he needs to go ahead and he needs to be cognizant of that. Stanford routes with us here on Cofield and Company. Let's get set up for the Raiders and the Steelers by going back first. What a weird week, man. Jubilation, but the emotional roller coaster of winning a big game at home, uh, especially last second against the Ravens. Then you find out the next day, Gerald McCoy, great story, kind of a leader yeah. on the team, even though he's only been around for a little bit. He's down for the season. Denzel Good, another Denzel good story. Good. He's down for the season. Now we found out earlier today, Josh Jacobs ain't going to play 
against the Steelers. What is it like in the locker room when you're just all weak? You know, it's like you're high as hell with the win, and now you're like, man, it's week two, and we're all beat up. And not to mention your X Factor won't be able to uh, play as well, Marcus Mariota, with the quad injury, correct? Yep. So uh, I think that that's it. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. You can't sit up here and poo-poo too much because look at what the Baltimore Ravens had to deal with. And they had to come out there into your building in Las Vegas and play you. And you and you so gradually, so graciously were accepting the win that you got from a banged up team. So you got to go ahead and also understand that sometimes you eat the bear. Sometimes the bear eats you. Sometimes you get the wide end of the stick. Sometimes you'll get the short end of the stick for the Las Vegas Raiders this week traveling to Pittsburgh. But I think it just puts that much more on Derek Carr's shoulders. Derek Carr said that he wants his respect. He's going to have to go ahead and he's going to have to drag this team. He's going to have to will this team to victory. I think defensively, they're going to have to make sure that they get after Big Ben. I think the secondary's got to come up big because Pittsburgh has more of a nucleus of receivers. I think Deontay Johnson, you got Juju Smith-Schuster, you got my man Maple Leaf, you got uh, Ch- uh, Chase Claypool, the big receiver that almost feels like a tight end out there uh, with the way he's able to go up for the ball and also having the speed to get down the field like a, a, a speedy receiver. You got Washington as well. I think, the, and then Najee Harris in the backfield. I think that... uh. The Las Vegas Raiders are going to have to make sure that, A, they protect Derek Carr. That's number one. Pittsburgh has a fearsome pass rush. Uh, number two, Derek Carr is going to have to take care of the ball. He is going to have to make sure that he does not allow any sack fumbles. He does not throw the ball to Joe Hayden or Mika Fitzpatrick or any other of those elite DBs that Pittsburgh has back there. And then I think on the defense side of the ball, you got Max Crosby. He's going to have to play at that level. The level he played against Lamar Jackson, he's going to play at that level all season. And Gakwe is going to have to come up big as well. And I think that uh, when you look at the KJ Wrights of the world, when you look at uh, when you look at my man Trayvon Mullen, you look at Jonathan Abrams, they're going to have to come up big either in the run game, the pass game. They're going to have to make plays. They are because you're already going to be without Marcus Mariota, so you no yeah. longer have that wildcat. That 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 read option. You're not going to have that element to your offense. Josh Jacobs isn't playing. That's your bell cow. So this is going to have to be a game where Derek Carr puts the game on his shoulders or on his arm per se to go ahead and lead them to victory. Stanford, that might be the rest of the season that the defense has to be a middle of the road defense, not a bottom you know five defense. Yes, uh, they might not be able to be a running team. Uh, they might have to be a throwing team. They might have to do what they did against the Ravens. I'm not saying drop back 59 times, but they might have to throw 40 to 45 times a game, and I wonder if Gruden mindset-wise is ready for that. He's going to have to be just because in, in the NFL, you have to adapt. You can't sit up there and say, okay, you know what? I got this square peg, but we're going to call these plays that are better suited for uh, but, uh, that are better suited for, uh, for a round peg. You can't do that. You have to tailor your play calling to your personnel, and this is the hand that you've been dealt at least for this week, at least for currently right now against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So that's what it's going to take. That's what you're going to have to do. And if you're Derek Carr, somebody who everybody has been critical of at certain times, I think he's probably a top 15, maybe top 11, top 12 type of quarterback. He always talks about he wants his respect, and I'm right there with him. Like I want to see him get his respect because you see games like he played Monday night where he played really, really well, and it seems like that seems to get overlooked by the overwhelming majority of the fans. Well, this right here, Without your starting running back, having certain offensive linemen that are down, Marcus Mariota is not going to be able to come in to go ahead and give a little bit of that change-up type of uh, type of rhythm, things like that. 
this is a great opportunity to show that, you know what, we're coming out the gate 2-0 against two heavyweights out of the AFC North, and a lot of it was my heavy lifting leading this team to victory in both games. That is a great way to go ahead and shut up a lot of the naysayers. What would you think of the hometown Texans? You live in Houston. Uh, what do you think of the Texans? And now already we're starting to hear a little whispers about Jaguar players being frustrated with Urban Meyer. First of all, as far as the Texans, not surprised that they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars the way they did because the Jacksonville Jaguars are not a good team. They have a rookie quarterback. He showed that he's a rookie. They have a rookie head coach. He showed that he's a rookie. So that's not surprising at all the way the Texans played. I've been telling people ever since March, if you think the Texans are going to go out there and be 0-17 or 1-16, you got another thing coming because it is very, it's harder to go 0-17 than it is to go 17-0. and A lot of people... That probably goes over a lot of people's heads, but that's the truth. And so as far as the Jacksonville Jaguars, this is the first time in Trevor Lawrence's career where he does not have the definitively better team, where the running back is not an obvious upgrade over the opposing team's linebacker. His offensive line is not a definite advantage over the opposing team's defensive line, where his receivers are not automatically better than the DBs that they're going against. So for the first time in a long time, Trevor Lawrence is not playing with the surplus of talent versus the team that's across uh, that's across the line of scrimmage from. And as far as Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer is used to being the head coach of a college, a university, University of Florida, Ohio State University, University of Utah, Bowling Green, where pretty much you're you could pretty much run for governor in those states as a top-notch head coach for a top-notch university. So he's used to running things his way. Well, now he does not have the four- and five-star recruits that he had at Florida or Ohio State. He doesn't have that. He's not able to just go ahead, make his decision, and then everybody else just get on board with it. Like when he hired uh, Doyle to be the strength coach. After everything that transpired at Iowa, all of a sudden he sees the media is making a big deal of it, and he's like, oh, my God, like I'm not used to this. Like People aren't just shutting up and falling in line with what I'm saying and then signing to Tim Tebow. A lot of people had a lot of opinions about that. I'm pretty sure that there's – players on the Jacksonville Jaguars roster that had their own opinions about that. And so now Urban Meyer is now at a position where he's now starting to see he can't be that just shut up and do what I say dictator that he once was in college because now you're dealing with grown men. These grown men are calling you by your first name because that's the relationship between players and coaches. We're more partners than it is um, then, it, then it is superior and subordinate. So I'm not surprised that they came out the gate looking the way they did. And I think that that's the, that's the dichotomy in coaching college versus coaching pro. It is vastly different. And for a lot of college coaches, that jump, we saw Nick Saban struggle for that to make that jump. It's not something that a lot of guys can do because I have to now go from operating off of fear you better go ahead and do what i say or else i'll put somebody else in your spot you need to do what i say or i'll pull your scholarship now i have to lead you i have to take these guys that are making eight nine figures a year things um, seven eight figures a year and i have to convince them to follow what i'm saying to follow my lead and they have no tangible reason Hmm. no financial reason to follow what I'm saying other than they truly believe in me. That is something that Urban Meyer is soon going to see how difficult that is if he is not able to connect 
to these players and get them to trust him. Stanford, good spot. Good luck in your high school game tonight. <laughs> no problem, man. Uh, love to be on with you, Steve. Can't wait to do it next week. The former Raider, our buddy Stanford Route here on Cofield and Company. Make sure on Monday you join us for Monday Night Football at our home, Twin Peaks on Eastern. It's the Lions and the Packers. I'll be there giving out prizes, great food specials like appetizers that are $2, $4, and 6 bucks, and domestic drafts under $4. It's Twin Peaks on Eastern, Cofield and Company's home for Monday Night Football. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios. You guys know me. I am where my feet are, okay? So when it's all said and done with, I am focused on the task at hand. I'm not worried about anything where my name is being mentioned. My job right now is to make sure that we're preparing, all right, for this weekend's of, uh, opponent. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 That was the OC of the Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy, talking to the media about USC speculation. By the way, the firing of Clay Helton has now required like eleven coaches around the country to have to make some sort of statement. I like, I actually like what James Franklin did. Franklin didn't say no; he's just like, "Yeah, hey, we'll address it internally." That's what you do. Sure. You know, then you get guys like Urban Meyer. No chance. I mean, I, I can't remember. Uh, there, there was a name out there. I'm like, what? Like that person even being considered? I'm like, what are we? What are we doing here? Uh, I mentioned this yesterday, but I'll, I'll run it by you. On our buddy uh, Petro show in Kansas City, he put out a poll question. Should Eric Bieniemy take the USC job? And over 65% said no. Now, if the rationale is, hey, he's a pro coach, stick with your pro aspirations, then that's one thing. But a lot of the thread turned into USC is not a great job. I'd From, I mid, thought, from Midwesterners. I thought okay. it was just them saying – we want him to stay here. That could be part of it. Yeah. Selfish. Of course. It, it seemed, yeah. I mean, like, should he take it? Yeah, probably. If, he, well, if, if he he's, he's not getting an NFL job. That's yeah. pretty clear. I mean, I don't know what yeah. more they can do. We'll see. And we'll see if he gets this job. Like, he hasn't been offered the job. He hasn't been offered the job. And he would not be my first choice. Yeah. Probably would. I mean, I want a guy who's been, I mean, I know he's got experience, but I, I want a guy who's been coaching college football and is at a place right now that's succeeding at a high level. Which means PJ Fleck ain't it. So you don't want Urban Meyer. I don't want Urban Meyer at this point. You know he's, you know he's willing to do whatever it takes yeah. to, to win. I already said if I'm, if I'm USC, my first plan is I'm putting together. I forget what numbers I threw out the other day. They're, no matter what, it's absurd. Um, eight years and 160 million dollars. I offered to Saban first. I offered to Dabo next, so that both of those schools have to pay those guys. Then I offered to Crystal Ball just for S's and giggles so that Oregon has to pay him. And I understand the optics of being turned down three times. So what? You get turned turned down by those three guys, and then you turn your attention to whoever you want. You know, James Franklin, screw over Penn State. They have to pay him. You know, make a run at that point at Luke Fickle. There's too many good coaches on a collegiate level to be bringing in a, an NFL OC. Yeah. I mean, it, it, listen, he's a, a guy that a lot of people have speculated would be a good coach if you if he – if he were to bring the Chiefs' offense to to the program, mm -hmm. I'd be thrilled. I don't think he's bringing Patrick Mahomes. I think he'd be a pretty good college coach, but I pretty good college coach is not what I'm interested in the USA if, if I'm going to spend money and finally try to get it right. And honestly, the other thing is uh, that school seems to be very stuck on or stuck up when they look at certain candidates. So if the NFL won't hire Eric Bieniemy for some 
you know, problems in the past. You don't think USC is going to vet him and go, ah, oh, we can't do that. Well, is it? Uh, I think the the issue with USC has been almost too much of keeping in the family. That too. Um, so stuff, going that, out, stuff that North Carolina and Duke did. Yeah, going outside would be probably a pretty good idea. Yes. Unless, I mean, I do think OJ is a good candidate, but I don't think I don't think he's getting the job. No. Uh, but yeah, I think going outside is probably probably the move. But again, like you have to find the right guy, and you just don't you don't know. Like I, more and more in recent years, like I've I've become less believing that just hiring somebody because they had success somewhere else, you're going to have success at this new stop. Like it has to be like the the right fit for everyone. Mm-hmm. It, it just kind of does, and you just don't know how somebody how things are going to work out sometimes. Three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. Caller seven. Caller seven. We'll get a Porta Subs six foot tailgate tray. That's a football tailgate tray. Caller number seven six. Check that three six four eleven hundred. You also qualify to win a new Yeti cooler. It's all brought to you by Finley Volvo Cars Las Vegas. Three six four eleven hundred. Caller seven. So interesting news on the coaching front in the NFL. I was already on the Panthers plus the three and a half. Now I'm feeling even better. So the Saints are practicing all over the place. Yeah. They still can't go home. Now they've got COVID issues. They're going to have seven assistants away from the team. What? I uh, I mean, I loved the quote from Sean Payton. Uh, he dropped the, it's like Ted Lasso. There's only four of us out here. It's great. <laughs> okay. Good reference. There's only four coaches. For, on you Ted want to bet your guy Jameis? I mean, Jameis can, you mean Flamus can overcome all. Flamus. You're not betting the Saints, are you? Flamus doesn't need coaching. He does what he wants. Are you going to bet uh, Mr. Football Porn, Lil Shanny, three at Philly? It's actually gone down. was three and a half. I, I, I have not committed on this game. I, I, I really liked a lot of what Philadelphia did, even though I thought they'd stink coming into the year. Sirianni's good so far. It looks, looks good. Uh, mostly starting with the offensive line, which played incredibly well, and that was a big question coming into the season. Um I mean, people are talking about Jalen Hurts. Settle down. His average depth of target, I believe, was under three. Like he, everything was at the line of scrimmage. They didn't have to throw the ball down the field at all. That will get figured out quickly. You can't do that. Uh, but they ran the ball effectively. Uh, they blocked really well, which is, you know, if that's sustainable, then that could be good. Uh, I don't know if they played good defense or if Atlanta was just disastrous, but they looked pretty good on that side of the ball. So I liked a lot of what I saw Philadelphia. Now I really like San Francisco, and I'm even stronger about my thoughts on them winning the division now than I was before the season. But that's um, a tough game. With the Raiders out of town of Pittsburgh, UNLV and Iowa State take over Allegiant Stadium on Saturday. That's tomorrow, seven thirty start. You can get your tickets at UNLVTickets.com. By the way, new parking solution. Uh, you can actually park over at the Luxor lot east for just ten dollars, just ten dollars, and then you walk across Hacienda. So. Hopefully that'll get a few more people out to the game, and they're expecting north of 35,000. A ton of Iowans are coming. And up next, we'll get the preview of the Iowa State side. As one of the guys who played for Iowa State, played the defensive line, is actually working the sidelines now. Ryan Harklaw is up with Cofield and Company. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Now back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Let's get you a preview of the Iowa State side in the 
UNLV Cyclone game coming up tomorrow, 7.30 at Allegiant Stadium. Brian Harklaw played for Iowa State. Now he's doing sidelines on radio. Brian, let's look back before we look ahead. What exactly happened last week in the game against Iowa? You know, defensively, it's as good as I've seen Iowa State ever. I think that up front, they're really strong. The linebackers are playing amazing. The defensive backs are still... You know, it's a really good deep defense. Offensively, we've been struggling to put drives and sustain drives together. And uh, it's, it's the same team that we had last year, same players we had last year, but the, 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 uh, they're not in sync quite yet. And so we're waiting, everyone, all the fans, ourselves, everyone's waiting for that, that spark to happen, that light bulb to pop when that offense gets back rolling again. So I hear from my Big 12 fr- uh, friends, and I know you're, uh, you're traveling to Vegas soon. You're in Kansas City, and they're, you know, all my friends in KC are big Big 12 fans. And they, they say one thing about Iowa State. They have good fans, and they travel. No matter what's going on, they travel. So from what we hear, you guys are coming in freaking droves to Vegas. It's insane. So I just got pictures from the airport today in Ames, and there's actually uh, – it looks like someone's walking into – Hilton Coliseum, our basketball stadium right now, as they're going through security. So there's lines of people. There's chartered flights coming out there. There's fans I'm hearing that are buying season tickets to UNLV football tickets to get better seats for a cheaper price than trying to buy the three or four. Oh, absolutely. So I know of two or three families that bought season tickets to UNLV this year just to get a better seat or where they wanted to sit, and they thought they got a better price for it. All right, well, give us the hookup, and we'll uh, we'll help them with the resale later in the season. I don't think they're coming to Vegas uh, every week to watch a UNLV play. Um are you a Vegas guy at all? You have you been to Vegas? Absolutely love it. I, I I saw the game on Monday. You guys just got to have an opportunity to to experience last week, which was really cool. So I think that it, it's a great environment. I played out there my junior year, and and for at the time we hadn't been in a bowl game in forever. So for us, it was a really cool experience for our fans and players to actually get a somewhat of a uh, a little bit of a bowl experience. So no, I love Vegas. I I, I like the vibe of it all. The restaurants. It's it's, it, there's definitely a lot more opportunities out there than possibly Iowa for the, for the entertainment value. Well, you'll be wowed by the stadium location because Sam Boyd is you know way off the strip on the east side of town. Allegiant Stadium essentially is right across the street from Mandalay Bay and Luxor and the south end of the strip. People can walk right to the stadium. I mean, uh, where they built it, is it's an amazing spot. It looks really cool. We happened to be out there uh, uh, 2019 or 20 or right before – COVID hit and you could see where it was at and what was coming in is like awesome like what a cool thing and how many fans from you know NFL and for UNLV when they have games it will bring so many fans to town and, and the experience everyone will have from it it's it was brilliantly done I mean it's it's another huge entertainment venue that will attract a lot of people to the town what did you see from Brock Purdy in this Iowa game I saw a guy um, he, he Number one, the Iowa defense is very good. You know, there's going to be guys that are going to be playing all over on Sundays uh, for the University of Iowa eventually. Um, and what I saw from Brock is he, there's some there's some obviously turnovers, and as turnovers happen, you have to try to make bigger plays to get back in the game. And Brock has Brock is the one that put us on the national stage as a quarterback, as a leader, as the guy. And I've said this about Brock Purdy forever: is if I don't care if the guys had five turnovers and you have you need a game-winning drive i want him behind my center uh, because he's the guy that has done it before he's done it in the past and he has that moxie about him that he's the guy you want back there now brock probably hasn't been the gunslinger that he's been in his past and and i think a lot of fans want to see that 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 gunslinger attitude come back out i think that's going to possibly happen uh, hopefully as we'll, we let him loose and let him start slinging the ball around a little bit like he used to but the guy's a great leader if you met him, he's a great human being, great person. But yeah, he's 
I mean, you know, is it to his standard of play? Probably not where it is. But I think our offensive struggles are not just Brock Purdy. I think there's some just timing issues that we're off on right now. Let's go back to the beginning of his career and how he landed at Iowa State. Because uh, when I saw Arizona kid at Iowa State, I'm like, wait a second. What's going on with the Pac-12? He's right down the road from Vegas. How did that all come together? I, actually, I'm not completely confident how it happened. But what I do know is I have I work with a, a friend. that they, they live in Arizona. And they go, hey, my kid's getting recruited by Iowa State. And he's a you know top-rated tight end in the nation. And he goes, we're looking at it. What do you know about this Campbell and the coaching staff? And I go, first off, how do you – what do you? How did you find out about Iowa State and why you're looking at him from all the way out in Arizona? He goes, well, Brock Purdy's playing there. And if Brock's good enough to go there, then we should be looking at Iowa State. So Brock has opened up that recruiting pipeline. And now you look at Eli Sanders, who's a running back you guys will see on Saturday. He's a true freshman. The kid's ready to play. I mean, he played against Iowa a little bit. He's really good out of the backfield. A lot of speed, a lot of bit of power. He's really shifty. But I don't know the recruiting story, how they landed it, if it was a relationship. But what I do know is that it's opened a lot of gates for us. Which is kind of amazing. Ryan Harklaus with us, uh, played defensive line for Iowa State. He's a sideline reporter on radio. Um, think about that. I mean, think about when you know you, you had to make a decision as a, as a high school player. And I would assume at the time, Iowa State wasn't landing guys from all around the country. So the fact that that's opened up is gigantic. Why did you go there? I grew up a fan. I had Cy on my wall as a kid. But I will tell you, prior to Coach McCarney, when I decided to go there, I was headed to Nebraska. So that's when they were in their heyday. Uh, I was going to be a tight end for, for Nebraska. And then Dan McCarney came in from uh, Wisconsin. He was a defense coordinator at Wisconsin or Alvarez, and he came to Iowa State. And again, I, I grew up a huge Iowa State fan. I wanted to play there, but prior to Coach McCarney, there was no vision, no long-term. I, I just didn't see the program going anywhere. You still wanted to be a part of an amazing pro program and nebraska was that really for the iowa kids so you would see a lot of iowa kids that were part of those nebraska teams that were making big runs like a kyle vandenbosch and a few other players that came out of iowa so at the time i thought i was going to nebraska and then eventually with mccarney he painted the vision and that ended up to a nine-win team our senior year that won the inside.com bowl and amazingly um at the time, that was the first bowl win in the history of the program. I mean, you know, people look at Iowa State now and they're like, hey, it's a pretty rock-solid program, can make bowl games. But back then, that was a massive deal. It was a huge deal. We weren't even uh, – you know, we won one game as a freshman. And we beat Baylor, who at the time, Baylor was in the dumps with us. And it, it was like, who's, who's going to be in the bottom, you know, our freshman year? And so that bowl win was like the cap off of a career for a bunch of seniors that went there together and committed. We all redshirted. Darren Davis, the brother of Troy Davis, is the only, only, only player on that recruiting class that didn't redshirt. So we all redshirted as freshmen, tried to build ourselves up to make a big run later in our career. And we were, thank God, able to get it done our senior year. But it was, you learn a lot about life as you transition from a team that went one win to nine wins and, and the adversity you go through to get there. What do you tell fan bases like UNLV have been frustrated over the years and they get new coaches and Marcus Arroyo's in year two and it's culture, character, culture, character. And people, people get tired of hearing it. They do, and we, we've been there. And it, even when you get there, it's harder to stay there than it is to get there. And But it, at the same time, you have to be very patient. And I think that that's where a lot of programs aren't patient enough to make, let it happen. If people remember, Coach McCarney won three games my sophomore year, and he was on the hot seat. I mean, it was a big deal. The athletic department, everybody was talking about the fans wanted him out. Had they not given it two more years, we don't have that bull win. Uh, two years later, and then he made a nice little run of bowl wins and bowl appearances and performances. So you got to be patient, number one. And you want a coach 
like McCarney, and, and, and I will say Coach Campbell is the best I've ever seen at this. He cares more about the players' livelihoods and when they're done playing football than he does what they do on Saturdays. He's trying to develop young men. And I think that's, that is the key to culture is developing young men. These kids are 18 to 22 years old. And if you can do a great job developing them, they're going to pay off for you on Saturdays because they're healthy at home, they're healthy on the field. They're unhealthy at home, they're not healthy on the field as a player. Yeah, reading up on the program and uh, you know how they built it and, and character, I noticed that he also did reach out to guys like you, uh, guys who had success in the past, brought you in to talk to the new kids. He did. So we had a mentorship program. So there's probably 15 to 20 of us that have come back. And it's, it's unfortunately got shut down during COVID. You know, we didn't want a lot of, you know, you don't want a lot of people around the team when, when COVID's such a big deal. So it hasn't started back up yet. But what he did is he brought us in to, to work with juniors and seniors. And it wasn't to talk about, you know, as D lineman. I mean, I had a long snapper. I don't know a lick about long snapper with Steve Rattel, uh, who's now in the NFL. But we didn't talk about football. We talked about, okay, what do you want to do with your career? How are classes going? What do you want to do when you're done? I want to get my resume out here. What, you know, where do I want to be? Where do I see myself five to ten years from now? I've gone through the transition as a player to the to a, to a career, and when I got done, you know, we get off the plane from our bowl. I was lucky enough to get an opportunity in the NFL, but you just kind of get slapped on the butt and say, "Go get a job and good luck, buddy. Thank you." They're on to the next year because that's that's their job. So, uh, Coach Campbell, knowing that's the the culture of college football. He wants more for his players, and that's where he put it in our hands to help his players transition out of football and into the real world. So a couple of interesting angles uh, coming into this game. Uh, one, I think for teams that have uh, Final Four CFP aspirations, when you lose a game early in the year, you've got to kind of recalibrate because that can be a dream crusher. Now, Iowa State still controls its destiny. How do you think they are mindset-wise, you know, rival loss and the kind of that dream-crushing loss? So I don't think it's a – and I talked about this on the, on the air uh, last weekend, and I wanted to make all the Iowa State fans aware, this game's bigger than the Iowa State game. This is bigger than the Cyhawk game. In the past, this game, we've never had two top ten teams. And when you look at that game last week, game days in town, you're talking about the top – two of the top ten teams. That's not happening in Texas and Florida and California. That's happening in the state of Iowa. And so that game, yes, the Cyhawk's a big deal to us. We just lost to a very good – top 10 team in the, with Iowa, who's now ranked fifth. And uh, so it wasn't the traditional Cyhawk loss, which is heartbreaking to an Iowa person like myself. There are bigger things on the table for both those teams. I think Iowa's going to be very difficult out in the Big Ten. Uh, I think they're going to make a nice run. And I think Iowa State's still in the mix. we got a lot in front of us. I, we Because of our defense, there's not going to be a game that you walk into that you can't compete. How do you think Matt Campbell's going to handle the USC stuff kind of swirling around him the entire season? Because there's not going to be a decision made. <laughs> uh, what, how do you think he's going to react to it? Professionally, the guy's so – his class is uh, as, as good as it is. And he's been – he's having this every year of his career, basically. You talk about all the openings that have happened. You look at the Detroit Lions and that rumor mill that came out last year. If anyone knows how to handle this, it's Coach Campbell. And he – I will tell you this, for anyone that doesn't know him personally and as much as I've known him, the guy loves coaching. He, 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 there is a business. He knows there's a business side of this business. But for him, he loves to develop kids and loves to develop players. He's an old-school coach. He's an old-school mind where he 
he wants what's best for his team and players, and he's worried about the games, not about his next contract. Uh, in closing, this isn't the most important angle, but uh, UNLV and Iowa State have some ties over the years, and the more, most recent tie, which is making some UNLV basketball fans a little salty, is the fact that T.J. Altsberger bailed on UNLV <laughs> after two years, and we were talking about it with uh, one of the former players, and he's wondering if T.J. is actually going to make his way out to Vegas. So uh, I don't know if he's going to want to get on camera and start waving at everybody. He might might get a couple of boos. <laughs> Just be careful. Yeah, TJ might want to skip it. I, so I ran into TJ on the sidelines um, at the first game against uh, you and I, and we were talking. I go, TJ, I've never seen someone do more for any program without ever playing a basketball game than he's done for Iowa State with what he's done with recruiting. Uh, we've got a kid back, Caleb Grill, I think you're familiar with, oh, yeah. obviously. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That, yeah, and, uh, you know, it's nice to have him back in names. TJ is going to be great for Iowa State basketball. I, I mean, I, I hate that it's UNLV that, it's, that he came back from, but at the same time, you know, for Iowa State, and, and I'm a huge Iowa State fan. I have season tickets to the basketball games. Like, we're very happy to have him back. It's hard. It was a, a tough situation, you know, when your uh, your heartstrings were being tugged uh, to come back. And I think that was always the job that he wanted, and it developed more quickly. And I'll, I'll tell you on the UNLV side, their, their coach now is Kevin Kruger, who was on the staff. His dad coached in mm-hmm. UNLV. That's the last, like, really high-level success making NCAA tournaments uh, that they've had. So, in, in the end, I think it worked out for both programs. I think so, too. Lon is a great coach, and obviously the pedigree is right there in the family. So I've always loved UNLV basketball back to Tark, you know, like when I was a kid. I had a Stacey Ogden jersey. I mean, I wore it all over the place. Oh, so really? Nice. There's kids are – oh, absolutely, man. So, like, in the state of Iowa, Larry Johnson, I mean, we – we that was our team in Iowa at the time. That's what we cheered for as kids. So you always want to see the Run Rebels back on top again in basketball because it's – for especially for us, and my we grew up as fans all the way back in Iowa. Ryan, that was great. We appreciate the preview, and I'll see you on the field on Saturday, okay? Hey, look forward to it, Steve. Thanks for your time. There he is, the Iowa State football sideline reporter, Ryan Harklaw, former player as well, part of the first team to win a bowl game in the history of the Iowa State program back in 2000. Big Five is on the way. We'll tell you about the guys on the Raiders who are going to have to step up with the absence of running back Josh Jacobs. More of Cofield & Company is on the way, live in the Finley Toyota Studios.